Hi, everyone, and welcome to Location is Everything, Tango's podcast about all things retail real estate. Recently, we held our annual Locations Everything Summit, which was chock full of great roundtable discussions and presentations from retailers and other industry leaders that explored the shifting post-COVID consumer and the resulting impact on the retail and restaurant business model, with a specific focus on the brick and mortar side of the business. We've packaged some of the best sessions as podcasts for those who are more on the go. If you're interested in listening or watching additional sessions, check out this episode show notes for details. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our next session on Location is Everything. The next group is going to talk about post-COVID leasing trends, impacts, and strategies. And we're joined by our friends at GNC and Lush. Uh, and our session will be moderated by uh, Tango's Rick Zielinski. I will turn it over to you, Rick, to do some introductions. Sounds great, Bart. Thank you. So just a little over a year ago, lease administration operations were you know, significantly impacted by a global pandemic that shuttered retail stores and had tenants scrambling to determine their financial obligations. And while those events um, have now kind of adjusted for the new normal in retail operations, you know, I think there are some lasting impacts that have been you know, fairly profound through this uh, event. So in today's session, we're going to just have a, a roundtable discussion, kind of talking through some of those trends and impacts and strategies that uh, a, a couple of uh, the retailers that, that we work with um, are applying to their lease administration operations. So with that, I will start with uh, an introduction of myself. Um, I'm Rick Zielinski. I'm VP of Product Strategy at Tango and have been involved in real estate technology for over 25 years, uh, predominantly um, from the um, uh, purveyor of, of software products and also as a client myself uh, for a number of years. Um, Kim and then Alyssa, if you please could uh, provide introductions as well. My name is Kim Delcuzzi. I'm the Director of Lease Administration at GNC. Um, I've been in the lease admin space about 20 years, and I've worked on it from both the landlord and, and the tenant side. So I think I bring a unique perspective to this arena. Hi, I'm Alyssa Gates, and I'm the Property Director for Lush Cosmetics. Um, and that includes leasing, design, construction, and even our wood shop. Um, I've also been in the business for over 20 years. So uh, an interesting perspective. I have never been on the landlord side, only represented uh, tenants. Um, so it's been a very interesting year from a, from a tenant perspective. Uh, to say the least, Alyssa. So um, thank you for the introductions. And so, you know, in today's uh, forum, we're just going to use this as kind of a round table. So there's no slideware for the audience. You're just going to see our faces through the uh, through the presentation. So let's just kind of get right into it, um, into some of these topics. So I think perhaps as a, a starting point, um, I thought we would maybe talk about co-tenancy. So, you know, if I think back to co-tenancy and I, you know, kind of the 101 um, explanation, obviously co-tenancy is uh, provisions that are um, giving, you know, tenant opportunities to have relief when, you know, either occupancy is reduced um, or anchors leave a center. And this has been something that's been a, a traditionally you know, kind of common concept in retail leases for decades. Um, 
And, you know, I, I think as, as COVID uh, began and tenants were really trying to kind of figure out what could they do in regards to getting relief from rent when they had, you know, retail stores that were forced closed and, you know, sales that were non-existent, you know, co-tenancy was one of those topics that kind of came up. So, you know, obviously kind of going back, um, you know, tenants were using it as a potential opportunity to look at um, occupancy um, because, you know, in, in fact, they're kind of was no occupancy. Um, but I think, you know, probably more, um, more has kind of transpired in this regard, uh, kind of over time. So I guess, Alyssa, I would kind of start with you and, and ask for some, um, for some feedback relative to, you know, what did kind of co-tenancy look like, uh, for Lush relative to co, uh, to COVID and its impacts? And, you know, is that something that, you know, kind of thinking back, uh, what seems like, well, literally a year ago, but seems like 10 years ago. Um, you know, was that something that you dealt with then? And is that something that, you know, has changed um, over time? Definitely. Yeah, it was something that we immediately started looking into and digging through. Um, but one of the things that we were up against was that, you know, when COVID hit and we were closing shops, we held back on paying rent. Um, in terms of negotiations um, with the landlords and, and trying to find that abatement or that rent relief that we we're needing um, to survive. So what that did is put us into a co-tenancy um, default situation for, well, a default situation for not paying rent. Therefore, we could not execute the co-tenancy provisions that we had already established in the leases. So those are the couple of things that we were up against. Um, and then as it became more apparent uh, that we were you know, going to have to go through um, different layers of rent abatement and negotiations, it became a really big um, uh, point of negotiation for the landlords. That, that was something that we would have to toll um, for a period of time until all shops were open and the world was um, back to a, a, some sort of normalcy. So for us, it was, you know, could, could have been anywhere from, you know, January of 21 through um, December of 22, where we told that co-tenancy. Um, certainly, certainly an issue all around for, for landlords to see that occupancy go back up. Um, and I, I think that for a lot of the major landlords, I've uh, actually seen them become um, tenants themselves. They purchased their retailers um, that were in bankruptcy in order to maintain that co-tenancy because it was less expensive for them to do that than to lose uh, the occupancy and have all their tenants go on co-tenancy. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I obviously the the changes are significant in terms of what we've seen. Um, Kim, I know you know GNC is kind of a, a different business at a different point in its life cycle. And you know, what did this look like for you guys relative to you know co-tenancy, both kind of early on and you know where things have have gone from there? Sure. I mean, I think we experienced some similar challenges that Alyssa spoke about because, you know, early in the pandemic, we were actively seeking rent deferrals, rent abatements, um, which, you know, it was hard for the landlords to grant that. We held back rent um, as well. Uh, GNC, actually, we filed for bankruptcy early in June. So then it took on a di different approach. We were going to the landlords actively asking for rent reductions on leases that we wanted to assume. So as part of that concession, the 
the landlord deleted the co-tenancy provision in a lot of our leases. So I think that was where the difference was. Um, you know, if there were centers that were underperforming or where there were vacancies existed, we looked, we took a pretty hard look as to whether we wanted to stay in that center, um, you know, altogether. So even going forward, the co-tenancy provision isn't, uh, is important to us, not to say that's not important, but we evaluated all of our stores globally. And so I think the centers that we want to be in are the ones that we're in right now. Got it. So that makes complete sense. And, you know, when I think of co-tenancy going years back, you know, a lot was built around anchors, right? And these department stores and, you know, malls survive because of anchors. And I think, you know, we know all the stories of the anchors that have, um, you know, gone under or have had less impact. And certainly we've evolved the mall and retail strategy in general. So, you know, listen, am I kind of looking at this right? Do we think that, you know, there's kind of been an evolution of the not only the importance of co-tenancy, but, you know, who is considered co-tenancy and, you know, what's, what's kind of most important in, in some of these centers um, in this regard? Yeah, I think it's evolved, right? So the department store has no, doesn't have the same um, appeal or presence that it once did for, for shopping centers or for driving traffic. Um, you know, for people are looking for entertainment, they're looking for um, the accessibility. So for us, when a department store has gone dark, it's more of that dark door being an issue for us than it is actually losing the, the sales and the, um, the goods that that anchor was selling. Um, so that does hurt us as a business. We can definitely see a drop in, in traffic um, when a door closes. Gotcha. And just the clarifier there is dark door, meaning, you know, it, it reduces the entrance, uh, an entrance point to a enclosed mall as an example. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think through this pandemic too, folks have been more apt to wanting to shop in an outdoor environment. So they you know, aren't <laughs> as engaged to walk through um, an enclosed shopping center as they once were. So some of those lifestyle centers or those anchor, you know, some of those downtown anchored centers um, are, are actually better for us currently. And, you know, interestingly, uh, you know, I live outside of Chicago and, you know, I would always want to, especially in the winter, to uh, look at those enclosed malls. But I think everybody's kind of been rethinking uh, where they want to shop. So that that doesn't surprise me in the least uh, that the, you know, kind of the outdoor centers are obviously uh, more popular these days. So, um, you know, I think overall, it sounds like co-tenancy, we really... Um, you know, th this was something that didn't really get taken advantage of relative to rent relief because other abatements were taken. So thus these provisions couldn't be exercised. And I guess moving forward, it sounds like, you know, the trends here are while co-tenancy and dark doors and empty spaces are definitely still important. Um, it's less around um, the big anchors and it's more around just, you know, kind of having um, having them all be occupied and probably maybe something that you're not as um, it's not as critical to negotiate, maybe as, as perhaps compared to some of the other terms that we'll talk about as we go through this um, a bit. So let, let's um, let's shift gears from co-tenancy and let's talk about uh, percentage rent. And, you know, percentage rent for me, just kind of being around the technology side of this you know, has always been something that's very complex. And I think, you know, one of the benefits of having a lease administration uh, system 
um, predominantly for a retailer is around the ability to calculate percentage rent. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you guys have plenty of stories of all the nuances um, in some of those leases and obviously the inherent kind of capability, uh, uh, complexities that that put into it. But, you know, on its core, you know, the, the intent to percentage rent is kind of a sharing relationship where you have a, a variable amount of rent that is tied to the performance of the store. You know, quite simply, you know, as sales go up, obviously the landlord is able to share in that profitability. And so, you know, the, the message is pretty kind of clear of what percentage rent kind of does kind of for both parties. But I think, you know, historically we saw reluctance um, by some retailers to enter into percentage rent leases, you know, it either be that it is administratively burdensome, um, or we even have, you know, some retailers that really just don't want to share sales with their landlords. They don't want to know um, kind of, you know, what stores are flowing through, what sales are flowing through, or, you know, they just don't want to share in that because of the nature of their business. But, you know, now I feel like, you know, tides are shifting again. Um, I think, you know, there's kind of pros and cons to this, but, you know, clearly from a tenant's perspective, you know, if you had more tied to sales and clearly we had a, a pandemic that kind of shuttered stores, obviously your expenses, you know, go in line with that. So, you know, I guess, Kim, perhaps starting with you, you know, what, how, how does GNC see percentage rent? Um, and what is that, you know, what is, what, what's your strategy there and has it changed at all? Sure. I mean, our pre, pre-pandemic GNC had percentage rent language in all of their leases. Um, you know, as you said, we, you know, sales were well, we, we shared that with the landlord. Um, you know, our strategy is a little bit different post-pandemic. We've been negotiating straighter percent of sales rent for our stores, but it looks a little bit different than I've seen in the past. Like when we would exercise a co-tenancy provision and it was to switch into just a straight percent of sales. Um, now they're structured on a tiered basis. So the better we do, the higher percentage that the landlord gets. So it's all tied to our um, sales, but just the, the better we do, the more, the more they get. And I think that, you know, helps us as well. Like if the center isn't performing as well, traffic's down or our source not performing as well, you know, our, our rent isn't as high either. Got it. So it sounds like, you know, there's potentially more upside uh, for the landlords with those tier breakpoints where I'm presuming the mm -hmm. per percentage of payment obviously increases as the tiers increase commonly. Cool. Um, you know, so that that's something that, you know, hopefully they're appreciative of that kind of upside um, and it also kind of minim minimizes risk because, you know, as, as you mentioned, if they don't perform well or the center is not performing well as in general, those, you know, have a, a net impact on a reduction in, in cost. Um, Alyssa, what, what does this look like from Lush's perspective? You know, I've always um, given a lot of percentage rent to landlords. Um, and so through, you know, 17, 18, 19, when we were doing um, some pretty high sales, it was really lucrative for, for landlords to have that structure. Um, at this point, you know, it's really great for us to have had that structure because we can go back to the base minimum rent structure that, that we were at. 
Um, and it really does help us to maintain that occupancy level to match the sales that we have. Um, landlords had always wanted to, you know, true up that rent um, to what we were paying in percentage rent when you're looking at a renegotiation or something like that. But um, I've always avoided that uh, conversation with landlords um, and, and held off on, on agreeing to that language. I'm happy to pay percentage rent when we're doing great and, and have them participate in that win. Um, so for now, it's been great. Gotcha. Um, makes makes complete sense. I, I guess, um, you know, I guess from a little bit from the accounting side, Kim, and I realize you don't, you know, you have other team members that support some of the accounting functions, but, you know, with percentage rent goes kind of accruing for percentage rent. So like this kind of anticipation of how much am I going to pay? So, you know, I, I guess, do we, you know, is this something, I mean, it, I guess I'm, and perhaps this is just, uh, what COVID has brought, you know, it seems like some uncertainty with, you know, what sales look like. So there's making some kind of best guesses around sales forecasting, um, kind of see how those play out. Have you seen anything kind of, do you feel like things have kind of stabilized and you're getting to a better understanding of, you know, kind of forecasting um, sales and thus forecasting your percentage rent expenses? You know, I think things have definitely smoothed out. I mean, as the country is starting to open back up, you know, I think we're getting our, our feet under a little us a little more in terms of what those sales trends look like. Um, I know we're going to touch on this later, but where we're seeing a bit of vari variability is in our omni-channel sales, which are still a little bit um, unpredictable for us. And I think sometimes there are, are some surprises in a good way, um, you know, where we see some higher accrued percentage rent just because we've done a, um, more online. And so gotcha. that's still a little bit more challenging for us to, um, you know, forecast what that's going to look like. Got it. And I think we'll touch on that topic a little bit more because yeah. I think, you know, where the, the sale is coming from, so to speak, is definitely a, a hot topic. Um, and there's some very strong opinions on that, on that one as well. Um, I guess let's, let's talk about some other areas um, around the lease. And I think, you know, I feel like uh, companies spent months, years, thousands of hours abstracting terms or negotiating terms. And then when something really happens where you need to go back to the lease and hopefully get relief, you, you appreciate, you know, what, what, what did I do well and what didn't I do well in terms of, you know, what was negotiated? Because, you know, I don't think any of us could have anticipated this nor, decided what would have been appropriate 10, 20 years ago that now is something that's kind of manifesting now. But, you know, I do feel that um, it's likely that retailers are kind of rethinking what aren't we negotiating leases? You know, what is worth, um, um, you know, everything that's negotiated in a lease in, th in theory has cost to it, right? So if we're going to ask for certain provisions, um, those provisions have cost, right? In some form or or fashion, you're going to go negotiate those provisions. And, you know, maybe you have to pay more in rent in order to get provisions that you want. So, you know, everything is a, is a negotiation around this. Um, and, you know, I think some of the items that, you know, certainly COVID has, has created, I guess one of those is around cleaning. I mean, cleaning, sanitization, you know, this is something that, you know, we started the pandemic and this was like the most important thing. And, you know, this was a way to build uh, consumer and customer confidence and, you know, how people are going to be kept safe, you know, is um, 
Alyssa, anything here from a perspective of kind of cleaning? Are you seeing, you know, was this something that you felt you had, um, you've been, you know, satisfied with what's occurred with your landlords and, and your leases have provided? And is this anything that you've kind of changed in strategy at all? I mean, for us as a business, I, I mean, we sell soap, so we were probably okay on this, uh, on the cleaning <laughs> our shops, but um, the landlord's piece and them upholding cleaning the properties, that's been an issue for sure. Like, you know, we we're seeing lots of restrooms and common areas that haven't been um, nearly as taken care of. And that's really around um, having the labor and the help to do so. So they've reduced their workforce teams just as most of us have done as well. Um, so that was, that's been a bit of a challenge. Um, and yeah, so I, I would say for sure, um, there are provisions there. Do you want me to launch into a couple other provisions aside from cleaning? Um, how about you hold that for a minute and let's maybe we'll, we'll come back to some of those others, but, um, Kim, any thoughts, any, any thoughts on the, on the cleaning, um, before we yeah, move on? I think, I think, no, it's pretty, I'm going to just echo what Alyssa said. I, we're seeing pretty much the same thing in our space pretty small, um, you know, so just some of the normal cleaning that, you know, countertops and um, surfaces like that, that we're, you know, we'll continue to maintain. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about a couple other, a couple other items. So, you know, one is around operations, you know, hours of operation. And I think, you know, we're, we're probably all dealing with this now because, you know, as, as we're all aware, we had kind of this massive dip in employment and then it's kind of come back and now, you know, there's staffing issues, right? There's either just the inability to find people to fill roles or that, uh, you know, per perhaps maybe they don't want the roles where they're in front of customers and, you know, feel at risk, right? So I think this is, you know, this is not just retail. I mean, I think every business is dealing with this and, you know, in restaurant where, you know, you're walking in a restaurant and a half of it is is closed off because they can't staff servers to to operate the restaurant. I'm presuming, you know, this is an issue for for retail as well, because, you know, what um, some may not recognize is, you know, obviously the landlords want you to be open um, for a fixed set of hours. And those hours are something that's negotiated and potentially defaultable if you know you don't adhere to that and then you know you could be in a position that you can't staff um, for those hours or you know you have a pandemic that forces them to you know close the doors I guess you know Kim if you can speak to this are you are you seeing any you know is this something that is kind of a current issue is hours of operation something that you know your landlords are um, concerned about and you guys are as well um, definitely. Um, you know, we are, as you had said, we're having trouble hiring people and staffing the store. So that definitely, you know, becomes an issue maintaining the minimum, the hour coverage that's in our leases. So, um, you know, something that we're definitely addressing with, with with lease renewals as we move forward. And a lot of our stores are, you know, run on one person coverage. So there really is, um, you know, a big impact when we can't find someone to staff the store. Makes sense. Alyssa, um, same with you guys. Same. Um, we are getting, we are starting to get trickles of defaults here and there where, you know, the shop's not maintaining full hours till 9 p.m. or something to that degree, but it's a matter of shortage of, um, of team members operations. Uh, they're just stretched too thin to be able to maintain 
the hours um, as required in the lease. So we'll, we'll change that. And, and that'll be some, never had I imagined that that would be something that we would have to change in a lease. Um, but moving forward, we'll have to make, you know, figure out a way to take that out. Well, good. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. I mean, I think these are, you know, again, these are things that, as you mentioned, you, you wouldn't have thought about five, 10 years ago that this would ever be problematic. You'd have trouble filling roles um, for a variety of purposes. So um, interesting to note. So in the context of, let's talk a little bit about um, pickup, curbside, um, buy online, pickup in store, you know, kind of all kinds of different acronyms for this. But, you know, I think this is something that I feel really, uh, the industry was kind of forced to jump forward. Um, some people have said on the, you know, magnitude of 10 years in evolving this kind of concept to really what was capable when people kind of put their minds and efforts towards it. Um, and, you know, the, the nature of that really obviously started out of necessity because the stores are closed or, you know, could be, couldn't have uh, customers in the store, but you could still sell and distribute out of the store. Right. And so, um, you know, we were getting into everything from, you know, how do we deal with parking and curbside pickup and, you know, how do we allow pickup in general? How do we, you know, have have ways to kind of reconfigure stores even temporarily to deal with this? But I think, you know, one of the, you know, real um, interesting issues around this is, you know, where are those sales associated with, right? Because, you know, are those online sales? Are those in-store sales? Um, this is absolutely something that already, um, you know, kind of the mall owners have made it pretty clear that they feel that the stores that kind of quote unquote can be associated with the store should be from a perspective of percentage rent and reporting and, and you know, obviously expense associated with that. So Alyssa, what's, what's going on in this world relative to the, this structure? Yeah, so you um, you hit it. The the fact that this was not something that we were really fully prepared to go into. We launched our BOPIS program in holiday of nineteen, um, so it was pre really quite fresh and new, and we were just getting through the kinks of it all. Um, when this became, you know, we actually did shut down shops entirely. So product did sit in in shops for um, about a month and a half, two months before we were able to send staff back in, um, and then you know, go ahead from there. We, we started doing different phases of operation and BOPIS became a big one, um, big part of that um, tier one and tier two operations. And so for the, our team, you know, we're allowing the sales to run through our sh shop terminals. So shop managers and the malls are getting credit for those sales that are happening through that location. Um, you know, whether that's long-term or not, we don't know yet. Um, it's where we're at today with the technology that we have. So we'll see if that's something that, you know, continues to move forward or in, in or becomes a digital sale and it changes entirely different. We also right. are looking at same day deliveries. Um, those will come directly from the shops, not from manufacturing. So those sales will also be occurring through the shop terminals and landlords will be getting credit for those and the shop managers as well. Okay, well, it sounds like you'll make, at least for the foreseeable future, you'll make some landlords happy in that regard. Um. <laughs> I, I won't use this language in the lease. I won't allow right. the landlords to, to capture that. that right. if, the terminal, then everyone, you know, sees that and, and, and gets that sales report. Yeah. And I, you know, I think your situation is probably like others that, you know, 
in the way that your point of sale has been built out and what capabilities it has. And, you know, this has been a challenge for, for many organizations, you know, even pre uh, pre pandemic, just, you know, what their capabilities are to actually, you know, attach that sales to, to something other than a store. Um, and so, you know, Kim, what is this, what is this looking like in, in GNC's world? Yeah, I think, you know, we had early in 2020 started the rollout of our buy online pickup in store. So um, it's definitely, definitely accelerated. In addition to that, we also have um, an auto deliver and save program. So um, if a customer comes in and signs up for um, auto delivery of their of their vitamins, um, you know, they can potentially receive those and those could be shipped out of the store, excuse me, out of the DC versus the store. So um, anything, any traffic that's generated in the store where they sign up for this auto deliver and save service, or they order something that our store doesn't have, um, the store gets credit for that, for that sale. So anything where we physically brought a customer into the store, we report um, those sales to our landlord. So that obviously makes them happy where we're still, you know, we probably need to do some, a, a deeper dive and some tweaking is where we do our, um, where our stores are the mini distribution center and the order is coming from, um, is generated online, but shipped from the store. The position we took right now is those sales are excluded from what we're, what we're reporting. But obviously that's, you know, as we're negotiating new leases, that's definitely a topic that we're addressing, um, you know, in terms of updating that sales provision and what that looks like was included and excluded from our reportable sales to the landlord. Understood. And so it sounds like both of you are taking a pretty flexible approach um, to this topic and, you know, working pretty fairly with, uh, let's, let's move topics a bit. Um, and let's talk about, um, security, safety, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's been plenty of tragedies and, you know, I'd love to say it'll never happen again, but, you know, unfortunately the, these tragedies are happening with some, degree of regularity. And, you know, uh, obviously some of this is the gun violence, but, you know, now, as you can see, there's this kind of unfortunate newfound um, kind of assault, uh, assaults of people that are occurring in the most, you know, unexpected places. And you're, you know, you're seeing this again, if it's in retail centers, if it's on airplanes. Um, and, you know, I certainly appreciate your, your roles are to ensure the customer is safe, but, you know, how about the employees as well? And, you know, this could be something that's contributing to, you know, some of the anxiety and concern that uh, even staffing may, you know, may impact your staffing. So, Alyssa, what, you know, is this, is this a big deal um, issue for you guys? And, you know, is, is this something that you're taking any, you know, preventative steps in this regard. Yeah, absolutely. So this unfortunately has moved front and center for, for me in terms of leases and relationships with our landlords. So not only were we dealing with the safety of staff and customers um, from illness of COVID, uh, but as we started reopening shops, you know, we quickly shut a lot of them back down um, during riots. We were, um, you know, preparing shops with um, plywood and things like that, just to keep them from um, getting demolished. 
Um, some worked, some didn't. Uh, and then and then right after that, we were dealing with multiple shootings and threats and things like that and staff safety. So in a lot of our locations, you know, the the um, staff was looking to the mall security to help them, to help them stay safe. Um, and we really, you know, that partnership um, has been typically great. But again, with, with the reduction of, of uh, folks on you know, the landlord side, of course, they were trying to reduce their costs as well. Um, we just really were not having that support that we needed. So, you know, I, I've gone in and put in different safety measures in the shops to protect the staff um, and looking at, you know, how we operate a business and keep our, our staff and our customers safe has become front and center for me on a property base. Um, so having back rooms, having safety ability for the, the locks, um, back doors to lock. I mean, you know, we used to have barn doors and things like that for back doors that's no longer acceptable, right, for, for them to be secure. Um, so it's, it's just definitely uh, moved to the front forefront of my my work and what I'm looking sure. at from perspective, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, unfortunate evolution, I guess, in that regard. But, you know, uh, Kim, what is this? You know, I know you guys probably share some of the same common centers as, as Lush, and you also have some, you know, some unique, uh, center types that you participate in that are, you know, um, different as well. So are you guys seeing a lot of, you know, emphasis around uh, safety and security as well? Yeah, I mean, I think just similarly to what Alyssa said, it's something that we're definitely, you know, looking at and trying to make sure that our associates and customers that are coming in feel safe in our stores. Yeah, I think pretty much, you know, that's, that's all that that kind of everyone's um, expecting. It sounds like Alyssa making some some material changes to you know some of the the furnishings to in, in, uh, enable some additional security measures. But you know, really, this is a cooperation with with the landlords and management companies and the security that they staff. So you know, ultimately, hopefully, these are not things we have to deal with, or um, at minimum, not deal with as frequently. Um, it's unfortunate we're even talking about this topic, but you know it is it is uh, what it is, and we have to you know kind of recognize it and address it. So I, I wanted to kind of shift our our gears a bit. So we talked a little bit about you know what are some of the kind of terms you know I would say lease clauses that you know maybe would have been impacted with things like a tenancy and percent rent and security and cleaning whatnot. Um, but, you know, I think there's also, um, for many businesses, kind of a rethinking of what should a lease look like, you know, um, I, I think both of you kind of operate businesses where there is a natural appreciation for, you know, a good center is important to the success of your business. And, you know, you want to obviously you always want to get into the best centers that you can get into and the, that you can afford and that fit within your, you know, customer profile. Um, and I think, you know, the, the kind of the old way of this would be you'd make investments in the space. And so you'd have some capital costs up front and you want to make sure that you're putting together a lease that has enough kind of length in the lease so you're able to, you know, kind of have a return, obviously, on your investment because you have some upfront capital costs. You know, everything doesn't get, 
address through a tenant improvement, I'm presuming to, you know, get your, your space built out to the degree. I mean, certainly everybody likes those improvements if you can get them, but, you know, I, I think it's probably pretty common that they don't fully cover those costs. So, you know, as you model out, you know, when a store becomes profitable and kind of what that looks like, certainly you want to do it in a way that, once you kind of get to that point, you know, you have some term left on your lease and you're able to, um, you know, obviously stay in that center for some predefined period of time and have with, you know, somewhat known expenses. But I feel like, you know, the, the past year or so has really altered thinking and um, perhaps you guys can give me a little insights to this. And I think, you know, the first topic around this that I would be interested in hearing about is, you know, the term of the lease. So even if we don't talk about um, any type of cancellation or termination yet, but if we just talk about the length of the lease, um, the duration of the lease in years and um, renewal options, um, I guess, Kim, starting with you, what, you know, has this changed? Is this different for GNC what it was uh, years back from kind of what it is now? Um, absolutely. I mean, we're, right now we're looking uh, at renewing for shorter terms, maybe one to two years. And I think there are several reasons for that. We're still evaluating um, the stores that we've kept open to see the impact of the closed stores. So are we really seeing a pickup like where we over cannibalized in certain markets and how is that impacting the sales of the stores that are left? So we're leaving ourselves some flexibility there. And also, um, you know, to see what the landlords are doing to some of the centers, what, whether there were, whether there were vacancies or they're looking to redevelop things, you know, um, you know so we're kind of keeping our terms at a shorter length so we can see what's happening there or if there's an opportunity for us to get into, to relocate to a better center, um, you know, or a more desirable center we're, we're, you know, trying to keep our options open for that. So that's our strategy right now. Um, so shorter, with, with our- shorter initial term sounds like, and then, mm-hmm. you know, relative to the renewals, did that, is that changing? Like, is that something that, you know, do you have as much dependency on renewals and or the length of renewals and or, you know, um, the what, what those renewals would look like? You know what, right now in some of the leases that are, we are renewing in a shorter term, unfortunately, there aren't options that we can exercise. Mm. Um, we have seen in some of the stores that we we want to renew or we do have an option left that the option rent is actually more favorable than, um, you know, mm. we'll be, if, we wanted to, if we wanted to negotiate a shorter term deal. So right. again, it's just now I think we're in a position where we just kind of want to see how some of the stores do um, post bankruptcy and post pandemic. Gotcha. So for you guys, you know, you have your online strategy of your, you know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, your subscription strategy of your, you know, kind of um, pick up in the store or, you know, just obviously your brick and mortar strategy. Um, Alyssa, what, you know, what does this look like for Lush? I mean, I, I know you guys are in some pretty um, some pretty nice centers. I've been to many of uh, your shops as well. Um, can't be can't be cheap to operate in those centers. Um, but you know, hopefully the 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 traffic is kind of and the customer profile is kind of what you're looking for. Has this has this changed at all for you guys in terms of you know length of term renewals? Um, any 
yeah. strategy? Yeah, a couple things. One is length of term. So if I have a shop that's coming up for a renewal right now or, you know, in the next 12 months, um, I would do something like a, a two to three year renewal on it at this point. Um, and, you know, overall, I think what we've seen in, in coming back and, and every shop is different, right? But what we're seeing is that these um, major metropolitan areas are slower to come back. These are where... Mm office offices have been closed and you know downtown set sectors um so those are the ones that are having a harder time coming back in terms of retail sales and traffic um so that will change i'm sure over the next um 12 to 24 months um but those are the ones that are more um on my watch list at the moment harder to operate um because the rents were so high and i think you know, we're um, currently, you know, I'm in the middle of a, um, an entire analysis with Tango doing uh, a full across the board market survey. So my team has also done that um, on every shop that we have. So we're looking at, you know, the, the space and the condition, the term, um, and then we're going to layer all these things together to make sure that we're covering the markets appropriately um, and that we do negotiate the right uh, extension of term or relocations or things like that. So um, trying to get a, a really broad picture of what we're looking at versus, you know, just looking at it um, under a microscope. Gotcha. And, you know, again, you guys have been kind of traditionally in these, in these centers, you know, fixed stores, obviously the online presence, um, anything new in terms of, you know, how you're selling in, you know, any kind of not necessarily new concepts, but new, you know, structures to how you sell. Yeah, I think that, you know, we're, um, we're looking at different things. Um, you know, our partners in Europe have done subscription boxes. Um, we're up into some of that space as well that will you know those will be separate from um the retail shops and uh, probably run more through the digital footprint um and, and there's lots and lots of other opportunities that we're looking at so partnership with other brands we've done that as well in europe for the first time so um we will probably you know continue to try to evolve and pop up in these new spaces um you know and technology is just continuing to evolve and, right. and be participating in that. So where the customers are um, and where there's, you know, purchasing and wanting to see products, then we want to, we want to be there with them. Very good. Um, so also in the, in the context of kind of the, the lease construct. So, you know, I, I think <laughs> um, depending upon kind of where you were positioned before, I think, you know, many organizations, uh, started opening their leases in March, April last year and started kind of paging through to see, hey, do I have a termination? Do I have a sales kick out? Do I have this? Do I have that? And so, you know, not for many companies, not an ideal time to start figuring out what rights you have to get out of a lease. Um, and I, I think with us all living through this, you know, um, having the flexibility to get out of a lease um, is certainly something um, I'm sure that, you know, clearly comes at a price, but um, a price that may be worth it to you. So, you know, if, if we talk about kind of the ability to terminate a lease, either with some type of termination option, even with a penalty or a sales kick out, if, you know, sales don't meet a, a threshold, you know, Alyssa, is this something that, you know, I guess you've kind of had in your leases kind of all along? Is this, you know, is anything changing here, more important, less important, staying the same um, in regards to these type of terms? 
So I've always structured the, the leases that I negotiate with kickouts. Um, and those are all based upon sales. I think that moving forward, you know, we may look at different ways that a kickout may have to come into play if it's not even just for sales, if it's, you know, for occupancy purposes, things like that. Mm. Voice tenancy based upon, um, you know, the, um, the the main property and then anchor co-tenancy and right. things like that. Those all gave us an opportunity to to kick out if we um, were, were seeing a drop. Um, so I think that the, that will continue to evolve. And I've heard of, of other retailers, but I've never done it where you've had multiple kickouts throughout a, uh, a lease term. So having that option more than once um, would be helpful. Gotcha. Um, and Kim, how about on your side with this? I mean, yes, all of our leases did have co-tenancy provisions, um, kickout provisions in them. Where we're, um, where we're renewing a lease for a longer term, like three, five years, we're definitely including a kickout clause in that. Some of the shorter term leases, it's not as important for us just be, because the fact that our lease length isn't right. that long. Um, but definitely any, you know, new leases that we would be doing or a lease where, you know, we need to do a three to five year extension, we're definitely including um, kickout language in that. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that flexibility, while it may come into price, you know, it may be a price worth paying for. Um, you know, hopefully we won't be kind of back here with a, a similar type event in the future. Um, um, I think we've all learned quite a bit from what can and can't be done. And, you know, I think in typical American fashion, people got pretty creative um, through this process to, to try to, you know, kind of um, keep things moving forward, keep the lights on, keep the stores open. Um, you know, and I think there would obviously be, you know, if we all went through this again, I'm sure there would be some, some different approaches that, that everyone would kind of apply to this. Um, so hopefully we won't have to find out about that, but I think that flexibility is definitely something that, um, you know, companies like yourselves definitely are interested in. So I, I guess uh, a last topic on, on related to the term is kind of more of the fi financials. And, you know, again, just looking for some kind of broad brush here, I appreciate we're, we're not talking specifics for you guys, but, you know, there's a couple things that I, I would be interested in getting some insights into. One is, you know, we, well, we already talked about percentage rent. So that's, you know, how landlords are kind of sharing in your, your performance um, positively um, uh, or have some additional upside um, when you, you know, kind of outperform expectations. Um, you know, the other element of this is kind of net rents or ghost rents. And for the people on the line that may not have that, you know, kind of that background, you know, kind of retail leases commonly are net leases in, in many instances where you're paying some kind of base or minimum rent, or even that could be a, a percent of sales scenario as, as Kim mentioned in some of their leases. Um, but, you know, that net rent, you know, often includes things like, uh, common area maintenance, uh, real estate taxes and insurance kind of as add-ons that are, you know, often paid as a pro rata share to how much space you occupy. And, you know, those costs, um, as we've all experienced, um, some of which increase um, pretty substantially with things like real estate taxes, where, you know, many states, including the one I live in, 
you know, have a very high kind of property tax base and it just keeps getting higher um, because there's so much of a dependency around um, property taxes as a revenue source. Um, you know, clearly taxes is something the landlords can't control. So it's not something they're very open to um, applying caps in those areas. And so you're kind of put into this position that some operating expenses, you know, you can negotiate kind of capped amounts so you can have some predictability to it. Um, some you can't. Um, but, you know, Alyssa, if I kind of started with you, you know, gross rent, net rent, kind of what are your leases kind of, you know, what do you think is the the best fit for you guys and the approach that, that you've taken? So um, kind of to your point, like in, in Illinois, where the taxes are higher, um, I always look at that stuff ahead of time as we're doing the deals. So I know what my average um, over the term looks like, um, as, and they're estimated, of course, right? Um, but I always make sure that we've capped that and uh, make sure that the, you know, the, the variability is 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 measured and we know where we're gonna go with that. Um, the CAM piece is a little different, of course, where you know, you're know you taking um, pro rata share for the property. And if that does substantially change and the, and the center is less occupied, then that changes quite a bit. Um, but we do also have caps in there for those as well. So it can only increase by a certain percent every year. Um, so we've, I've, I've kind of taken out some of the um, risk, I, would say to some of those pieces. And I look at it, when I look at a deal, I look at the whole net piece of it, right? Like I wanna know what my year one is. I wanna know what my year five average is gonna look like in year 10 um, so that I know, you know, can I afford this deal over the term that I, I'm, I'm looking to sign up for. Right, makes sense. Um, Kim, what do what run structures look like uh, for GNC? Sure, we're, we're negotiating more gross rents to reduce some of the variability of the true ups um, at the end of the year. So we're going in, you know, for an all in deal that includes CAM taxes and insurance. Um, you know, where, where a landlord isn't willing to agree to the gross rent, we do have caps on most of our um, lease for CAM, real estate taxes, mm -hmm. land, I'm generally not seeing yeah. um, cap on those. And the one thing that landlords typically exclude from any cap, CAM cap, are some of their uncontrollable expenses, like perhaps snow removal or utilities, things like that, that they, you know, they can't really predict. So that's, that's what we're seeing. Gotcha. So, I mean, I, I think, again, it sounds like you're, you're putting uh, predictability um, first so that, you know, you, you get a good picture, but, you know, it kind of goes back to the same point Alyssa made, which is, you know, if you're looking at it in terms of what this is going to be all in, you're kind of understanding in essence, your budget, what you can afford and, you know, understand kind of your profitability to the best, um, degree that you can. So we, we have a couple minutes left. I just maybe wanted to open it up and, um, Kim, if you have any kind of closing thoughts, um, I don't see any questions in the chat at the moment, but do you have any kind of closing thoughts, Kim, in terms of anything else that you'd like to, to share with us here this afternoon? I mean, I think we've touched on a lot of what, you know, we've been, we've been seeing, obviously, you know, some of the stuff that we experienced during COVID, it was pretty hard from an accounting perspective to, um, you know, track and manage and 
um, report on all of that. Um, hopefully, you know, we don't see anything like that going forward. So it did, you know, some of the things we saw made it, made it pretty, pretty interesting and creative, but um, I'm hoping all that's behind us for right now. Sounds good. And, you know, I, it, it, it's interesting because I think um, ironically, both of you, I spent quite a bit of time uh, with last year um, on a lot of the challenges you were dealing with, with rent abatements and whatnot. So, you know, mm -hmm. we, we learned a lot. Um, you know, we realized kind of what was easy, what was hard, and in the end, kind of got to, got to, uh, you know, the end in which we we needed to get to. But um, um, it, as as all retailers, I'm sure, are aware, it was definitely not an easy path. And you know, I'm I'm not convinced we're we're all the way back um, there. Hopefully, things are not are going to continue in the in the right way. Um, but with that, Alyssa, any, any kind of closing thoughts or any, anything else we want to touch on? No, I think you, I think you touched on most everything that we're thinking of. I mean, you know, we're, we're dipping our toe back in the water and, and going back and doing some pop-ups and some, you know, things to test markets and, and try to go back into, um, retail spaces again. And so that's exciting. Um, but you know, from a long-term standpoint, we're not really fully there yet to want to commit to these uh, shops. And, and yeah, so I think that the, the Tango system was great for us. Unfortunately, you know, we got caught with uh, not, you know, not being able to pay rents for a little bit and having to make quite a lot of adjustments. So appreciate all your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully collectively, we won't, we both won't have to deal with that um, through another round, but. Uh, but it is nice yeah. to have them up in place and and have everybody it's transparent right so we can run reports we've got all the information now so right um, great and uh we'll let we'll let all those accountants kind of figuring out where where all the dust settled um on, on the back end of this but you know i want i want to say kind of in closing i really appreciate you both kind of sharing your thoughts around some of the the trends and strategies around um you know what's going on in the lease world i think it feels like we we went through 10 years in a year, um, and now things are um, getting back to some normalcy. And you know, hopefully, we can we can take the positive of what uh, we were able to do and the resilience that people were able to kind of bring to the table, and you know, take all of those learnings and you know, deal with that in addition to the things that were you know, challenging for all of us and, you know, be able to move forward in, in a better way. So, you know, hopefully um, the expertise you guys shared uh, here this afternoon are things that people can have some kind of takeaways and learnings from, and we really appreciate your contributions. Thanks for listening to this session from Tango's Location is Everything Summit. For more sessions from the summit, check out the show notes for details. See you next time.